0: And welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels podcast hour. I'm your host, Ming Kennedy. Trips and Global on Wheels is focused on sharing resources and insights into disability advocacy, fitness and health, and accessible travel. Our mission is to build a community of healthy, worldly, and informed advocates. Each week on our podcast, we interview someone with a disability or someone whose work advances the disability rights movement both locally and internationally. In addition to the Disability Advocacy series you've been listening to, we've also launched a sub-series called Environmental Issues from a Disability Lens under the and Global on Wheels podcast hour. For years and years, people with disabilities and our advocates have urged for us, individuals with disabilities, to be included in environmental issue conversations. Therefore, I am expanding my podcast to include environmental issues so that we can start the journey of being included and also work towards a solution plan for saving our planet that works for everyone, including people with disabilities. We interview leaders from all over the globe who has done work in some capacity or an, uh, on environmental issues and ask them how they are including the needs of people with disabilities when mi- mitigating the problems of climate change and how they think people with disabilities can be a part of the solution plan. And welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels podcast hour. I'm your host, Mean Canada. Trips and Global on Wheels is focused on sharing resources and insights into disability advocacy, fitness and health, and accessible travel. Our mission is to build a community of healthy, worldly, and informed advocates. Each week on our podcast, we interview someone with a disability or someone whose work advances the disability rights movement both locally and internationally. In addition to the Disability Advocacy series you've been listening to, we've also launched a sub-series called Environmental Issues from a Disability Lens under the and Global on Wheels podcast hour. For years and years, people with disabilities and our advocates have urged for us, individuals with disabilities, to be included in environmental issue conversations. Therefore, I am expanding my podcast to include environmental issues so that we can start the journey of being included and also work towards a solution plan for saving our planet that works for everyone including people with disabilities. We interview leaders from all over the globe who has done work in some capacity or another on environmental issues and ask them how they are including the needs of people with disabilities when mitigating the problems of climate change and how they think people with disabilities can be a part of the solution plan. If you want to learn about climate change, if you want to learn about how climate change is affecting people with disabilities, and if you want to hear what environmental leaders are doing to include diverse voices, such as people with disabilities, in the climate change conversation, then this subseries is for you. Alex Guinness, welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels podcast hour.
1: Hi. Yeah. Thank you uh, for having
0: me. Of course. So I'm I'm mean Canada, Day, as you may know, and uh, I am Washington. I am in Washington, DC. And then my co host, Jean uh, Mishner, is in Melbourne. Jean, uh, do you want to introduce yourself to Alex?
2: Yeah. Hi, Alex. Uh, how are you going? Uh, like Ming said, I'm calling from Melbourne, so it's a little bit early in the morning. But really, really a pleasure to have you uh, here to speak with today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on. Great to. Uh, we got a few different time zones here, so looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I know. We got. 2.30 p.m., 5.30 p.m., and 7.30 a.m. <laughs> so <laughs> the first question is um, is uh, kicking off a little personal. Uh, I know that you have a C5 spinal cord injury, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from, from a bike accident from a decade and a half ago. Um, so, and then shortly afterwards, you moved to Eugene, which is where I went to school as well. I went to U of O, University of Oregon. Great. Um, yeah um i did my undergrad so what i want to know is how does climate change affect you because i know it's your you know professional tra- trajectory and what is the personal stake
1: yeah so uh i have a c56 spinal cord injury i uh, got it when i was 16 years old uh, just mountain biking and hit a jump wrong uh, and with a spinal cord injury uh, i have less control uh, of my upper limbs. Uh, I have uh, no control of my legs, as I mentioned uh, kind of before this uh, uh, podcast. I um, have muscle spasticity in my legs. I have to deal with, uh, you know, managing um, uh, medications and whatnot, always having those on hand. So on the one hand, I'm I'm very aware that uh, there's a reliance on the medical system. And the medical system, due to whatever might come about through climate change, could be endangered. Um, We certainly see with the virus that's spreading around right now uh, that epidemics and pandemics are going to be uh, more intense uh, when uh, we have kind of humanity pushing in on forests and then forests burning and more animals coming in, etc. cetera. And I know now uh, I'm having to be much more careful about uh, going outside. I'm having to be careful about uh, managing my medications, talking with my doctors. Uh, so that's just one individual kind of small impact to one aspect of my disability. Uh, other things I might deal with are... Uh, you know air pollution uh from forest fires here in california we've had uh, forest fires and due to uh, my disability i have a little bit less lung capacity i know that could be an issue uh, if forest fires comes about that i'll have uh, more difficulty with breathing and with managing that uh, i cannot sweat to cool myself down uh, so if there's a extreme heat event uh, then that's something where i need to make sure i'm in a cool space People with disability. And I'm a working professional, so um, I, I have money for an AC bill. But uh, some people with disabilities who are reliant on really modest government income then wouldn't be able to afford that.
0: Uh, later on, we'll break it down uh, a little bit more. Um, just wanted to, you know, see the personal effects, and you know, as someone, because it's very unique. Um, I've done a lot of research on climate change over the past few weeks just because of the guests that have come on. And I've rarely seen people with disabilities uh, like ourselves who are experts or have any degree of knowledge in this field. It's very rare to find, I feel like. And since you're in the you've been in doing this kind of work for a lot longer than me, um, maybe you know more people and are more well connected um, in this area. So my next question is: So, what is it, what is your your biggest dream and hope in terms of progressing environmental slash climate change work? Like, ultimately, what do you want to go with this in in your lifetime?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, and actually, uh, I'll take one quick step back. Uh, one of my concerns is climate related migration, uh, so people moving away from flooding coastlines. Uh, And I here based in California have built a professional and social connection to a lot of people in the Bay Area. And now I'm looking at uh, the Bay potentially uh, California entering a mega drought, a very deep mega drought, and we're reliant on snowpack. And in the back of my mind, then I also have, well, you know, is Portland, Oregon, or Seattle, Washington, an option uh, for the future. So Uh, That's on the individual level here in California. Again, uh, we've had a lot of wildfires. uh, Down there in Melbourne, you know about wildfires. And actually, you know, California firefighters and our air tankers fly down to Australia. And then the Australian firefighters come up here because we're, you know, different hemispheres and and summer and winter are different. Uh, And with the wildfires, people in California have looked at this and said, Okay, we know wildfires are bad, Uh, they get sparked, people with disabilities have a hard time escaping wildfires in time, they have a hard time finding accessible shelter, they might have difficulty getting personal needs and medical needs met if they're in a shelter, and uh, people just say, okay, this is an individual disaster that we need to work on. And then on the flip side, also in California, we've had uh, an issue with the electric utilities. Because actually some of these fires are sparked by poorly maintained equipment uh, touching trees and uh, that's kind of exacerbated by climate change
0: um, so to continue, I want to ask you some intersectional questions. Um, so how can we get more people with disabilities interested in uh, combating climate change? you know as I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, you know it's it's hard to find people who have disabilities doing climate change, environmental degradation work.
1: Yeah. Um, The most important thing in the disability community is not necessarily to get involved in the building of a green economy, but the building of a resilient society. Uh, When I look at climate justice, there's You know, in climate change, you've got mitigation, which is reduce the greenhouse gases so the world doesn't warm as much, and then you've got adaptation, which is, uh, you know, uh, start moving people away from Miami, um, or you know, other low-lying areas. It's a it's a scary concept, but it's something that we need to do. Um, I think that uh, adaptive climate justice is uh, much more tailored to the disability community and getting involved than necessarily you know mitigation climate justice uh, bringing the the disability community into this because uh we are going to get hit we're most likely uh to be i think left behind or at least not considered in adaptation uh so that's where a lot of the focus needs to be um and i think that the disability community uh also needs to talk to the environmentalist community and say listen, we know you want to phase out plastics, but I use a plastic straw. Can we figure out a less rapid harmful transition plan to the green economy? Um, So building those networks, and it's good because uh, climate activists and uh, disability activists both care about social justice issues uh, in a lot of ways. So uh, hopefully we can build those connections. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, thank you. As you were mentioning just now about plastic straws, right? you know, it's the banning of them have had negative effects on, on the disability community, as we know. Um, how can we how can we uh, reduce the use of use of plastics and um, help combat climate change while also maintaining the freedom, independence, and and dignity of all people and specifically people with disabilities?
1: It needs to be a gradual transition with input from the disability community um, that. Uh, Berkeley, where I live, uh, a lot of people know it as a very progressive place. Um, uh, You know, certainly there was a very active uh, and environmental advocacy community here. We have the Green Lining Institute downtown, we have a lot of others, and they pushed for a straw ban but didn't consult the disability community here at the city level. Um, And uh, so there's not enough recognition from the powers that be of the disability community. Um, uh, a lot of cities and things like that will have uh, commissions on disability that work with the mayor, or the city council, and then there have an environment commission and things like that. I think that at the governance level, there can be more kind of uh, uh, just engagement uh, between the environmental goals and the disability community uh, because uh, in the U.S. we're kind of having a little bit of an abandonment uh, at the national level on environmental uh, policy including things like this and it's being done at the local level and this again goes to the disability community putting out fires all over the place but um, uh, it's, it's outreach and it's dialogue. Uh, I try to talk to the environmentalist community uh, as much as possible, the waste reduction community, uh, the rest of it, and um, it's just something they don't think about when I talk to them. When you say it, it's intuitive, it makes sense, they say, okay, let's figure out a transition, but a lot of people just don't think about disability considerations, uh, and they um, they don't think about it. There's a few people in the environmentalist community that are you know, let's all go live in a commune in the woods, and I'm not going to be able to do that. And um, there's certainly some people that have seen overreach of society and say, burn it all down. Like, this is just, this is a monstrosity that society has built, right? And plastics are kind of the the epitome of the thing that we've built that never goes away, that keeps on harming the environment. Um, so, uh. The disability community and really the entire medical field too, because of how much plastic is used for steromedical equipment, things like that, um, just needs to say, we care about this. We need to jump in front of you and say, you know, gradual transition, find alternatives, and we're happy to have that conversation, but don't just phase us out and kick us out of the way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, me neither. I won't be able to live in the forest um, <laughs> as well. Um, do you know any other people, you know, as I was alluding to, uh, people with disabilities that are working on these issues that, uh, you know, the intersectionality of climate change and disability. Um, if, if yes, who are they and what, you know, what do you admire about that, their work in this field? And uh, of course, I'm talking about people with disabilities also doing climate change work. Mm-hmm. Um, in, you know, in the same community as you?
1: Yeah, uh, so um, it's a lot of academics uh, that are doing this. And there are so many disability activists that um, are doing great work on international development and human rights um, that now aren't, you know, specifically disability and climate change, but are integrating climate change into their work. So, uh, for example, uh, Victor Pineda and the uh, uh, DIAUD, which is Disability Inclusive, oh gosh, uh, something Accessibility Universal Development. Uh, DIAUD, uh, if you look it up, uh, is, is the one that it is, and they now are starting to integrate uh, climate change. Uh, you know, the uh, UN uh, uh you know and and refugee agencies are recognizing first of all you know they already recognized climate change was an issue and they already knew disability was an issue and they're just connecting the dots and i'm happy that's happening now um i've gotten a lot of outreach um you know academics like gregor warbling um is another one uh but actually i really love what diaud is doing and then on the d- disaster front the um, uh, Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies does a lot of international work and they also are doing the Climate Change Connection now too.
0: Mm. Oh great, I didn't realize, you know, so many organizations are um, making it a component of their organization. Um, And then, i think in one of your i was watching some of your youtube lectures the lectures you've posted on youtube so just perhaps doing a summary because i know you're you're covering it how people with disability disabilities themselves can prepare and respond to uh disasters as they come
1: um so uh there the partnership for inclusive disaster strategies um has recommendations for individuals and Uh, it's tough because people with disabilities are economically disadvantaged compared to the rest of society. And uh, oftentimes government limits the amount of medical supplies, uh, medications that they can have, you know, even being able to have a three-week buffer. uh, Sometimes the medications is difficult to work with you know insurance or whoever else to provide. Um, so people with disabilities should take the basic steps of having a certain amount of stocked up food, having stocked- up medications. Uh, you know if you find that you go through a box of gloves once a week, then have several weeks worth of gloves. Uh, you know th- this whole thing and uh, make a list of everything medical you might need, make a list and contact assistance for personal care attendants, Uh, whatever that might be. Um, I think uh, uh, people with disabilities um, should work in the community to educate their friends for the best ways to uh, uh, prepare, Um, that I think NGOs and government should help out uh, with things like retrofitting buildings with air conditioning, in areas that have a lot of people with disabilities and that might be affected by heat stroke and people with disabilities can advocate for that it really needs to be a dual track approach of uh, people with disabilities preparing for themselves and government recognizing that uh, people with disabilities can't do this all on their own um, that uh, government needs to assist and sometimes it'll take investment uh, to do so and they should be involved
0: And I think the COVID-19 pandemic is a perfect example. How have you taken measures to prepare for, you know, even the first wave hasn't left, but the second wave, um, and yeah. yeah, just however long it's going to last. What what tips do you have for people who are in similar situations?
1: I think the COVID experience from me, where I'm at, having been a working professional, uh, really emphasizes the... Value of economic empowerment for people with disabilities in getting ready and preparing for any sort of disaster, including COVID. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a little bit of a savings and a buffer to, uh, you know, stock up and have a little bit more of the PPE that I work with, that I use with my attendant, the personal protective equipment, you know, just gloves and things like that. Um, that we stocked up on food ahead of time. Um, I'm vegetarian and always took little, like, pre-made packets to work with me and had some of those. You know, we kind of had the prepper mentality um, with disability, and I'd worked here uh, um, about this before. Um, it's really important for people with disabilities also to cover the news uh, just regularly to see what might be happening and coming down the pipeline. Um, I was tracking this since November. When it came out, Berkeley, we went into lockdown in March, mid-March. and Uh, all the way going through that process, I was saying, "Eh, you know what, I'm gonna buy an extra case of gloves just to have those on hand. Um, And once I saw that toilet paper was running out, you know, I I, I just said, all right, I'll buy the stuff that they give to restaurants and split it with a few of my friends. And it's, you know, cheaper, and they were able to sell it. But looking ahead, preparing, um, I live with a live-in attendant. So my roommate also does um, some of my attendant work. And I had to work with my different caregivers and say hey guys like you know Reggie's going to cover most or all of the shifts and you can come in and be a backup but we have to work with our attendants on uh doing that physical and social distancing uh you know a lot of it is just following the news doing communication if you see something is around the corner uh prepare ahead of time because we do need a little bit more of the time buffer because we just have uh you know a few extra needs and a few extra things on on, on the checklist
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's um, very, very crucial, especially with you know personal attendance, They come in and out, and and if there are multiple ones doing different shifts, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: So the next question is more uh, is is what what questions do you have for lead, leading environmentalists in the world? Say if you ha- you have them all in a boardroom or uh, whatnot, uh, a meeting room. Um, what questions do you have for them on including people with disabilities in climate change discussions who what do they need to address uh, the main things they need to address for people with disabilities
1: um well i would say uh first of all uh, get in touch with uh, international ngos that are doing a lot of this work or related work uh you know diaud and and Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies. So like immediately reach out to appropriate disability organizations. Learn the basics. Uh, I think uh, if I had questions for them, I would say uh, How many people with disabilities do you have on your staff and on your board of directors? How are you engaging the disability community? Um, uh, Have you considered whether uh, you know, some sort of green transition plan might actually create access barriers. Uh, the straws are one thing, you know, if we have these new pod cars or whatever elevated guideway fancy transportation setups, but you only have an elevator every seven blocks because they're too expensive to build on every station, that locks people with disabilities out of this green transition. So I would say uh, you know, as you're building things, have you done the checklist on making sure that this is up to code? Um, have you gone beyond that and looked at, for example, the seven principles of universal design uh, to be even more what the government says? Uh, have you engaged people with disabilities? How do you plan to engage people with disabilities? Do you have people with disabilities on your staff? Um, and do you have my business card? I think might be the last uh, question I get them.
0: <laughs> yeah. We'll have to we'll have to organize that meeting now, huh? You seem yeah. <laughs> you seem like you really had it on <laughs> had had that question prepared. Um and then uh, next which which national or international climate change activists, leaders or envi- environmentalists in general uh oh, do you gosh. see doing great work and in including people with disabilities that others uh others can can emulate?
1: I'm grateful that the people that uh worked on the Green New Deal in the United States, Uh, they actually uh, reached out um, to the disability community um, and uh, asked for input and, uh, you know, a a few of us gave input and they added some more language around disability in there. Um, So I think that, uh, you know, every little bit of outreach matters. Um, The uh, UN uh, um, Commission on Human Rights um, has our Human Rights Commission whatever it is um, they've been pretty good and also they work on implementing um, the uh, oh gosh please help me with the international disability uh, the one that the United States is like the only country that hasn't signed yet
0: Oh, uh, the UN Convention on the
1: Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Thank you. This is a, a word I should know, like, immediately. But, it, yeah. Yeah. No
0: worries. <laughs> so, it's really long. It's a mile long. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, but the, um, yeah, the UN, uh, I think that their departments do talk to each other pretty well. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, the folks in the UN working on disability issues also um, are talking with the refugee sections of the UN um so i wouldn't say necessarily that there's one big overarching organization that's doing this um but there's uh conversations and the people that realize the organizations the international uh, groups that realize um how interconnected all of this is um i i you know some of the um uh, environmental justice organizations that uh started out looking at racial inequities um, are also including disability now. Uh, So like the Green Lining Institute in Berkeley and some of the things like that, uh, they're they're recognizing the intersectionality.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully these starting to include and starting to inquire will just become a reality and not even a question of, oh, we should include this other billion people out there. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, Anyways, um, and then the next question, And then Jean's going to take over in a little bit here is uh something you brought up I was really happy you brought this up during one of your podcasts recently uh, a couple months ago so you were saying that you know the need to the need for the disability community to diversify in terms of activism so so that we're not preaching to the choir because like it's a small community and to 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 a certain degree we'll start getting to know one another um, it's only the community is only so big. So what can we do to diversify, though, to get out of this bubble?
1: It's like the uh, uh, the spokes on a hub of a a bicycle wheel is at the center of that wheel, you have the you know local or national or international disability community, and people talk with each other and check in and learn the basics of disability rights. Um, and have, you know, their pockets of advocacy, that they go out and, you know, write, whatever, write letters, interact with the legislators, communicate on that activism, but we need more seats at the table when it comes to just the environmentalist groups, when it comes to, you know, the transportation groups, when it comes to the the energy and green infrastructure groups, whatever it might be. Um, so instead of these kind of balls of activists going and then sharing their message, um, the balls of activists can go and then share their message, and then one person can jump over and sit on that commission to keep the discussion going. Um, Because if we have someone uh, here in, you know, uh, the Bay Area that sits on the Energy Commission and says, okay, this is what we need to maintain power for people who use ventilators at home, um, that's better, uh, that person sitting in on those meetings and contributing to that conversation than a presentation by a group of eight Disability advocates uh, for a half hour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sit on the commissions, get involved, build the network, come back to the hub, and then go back out through the spokes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was very well said. Thank you. So now Jean's going to ask a few questions. Um, yeah, Jean?
2: Hey, Alex. And you also once said that, um, you know, if, if the sun isn't shining, Um, how could you possibly charge your electric wheelchair? Um, So what would be uh, maybe some thoughts on, uh, you know, the reliability of solar and wind power when thinking about powering essential devices?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, uh, this was during the power shutoffs, a big concern in California. Um, We uh, had a, a program that's certainly still not perfect Um, and they're trying to revise but the past six months have been something Uh, so that uh, handing out large-scale battery uh, systems Uh, so you know the Yeti 3000 is like three megawatt you know three kilowatt hours I think is what it is Um, generally if you have a home or a system uh, with well-placed not only uh, intermittent renewables you know wind power and Sun uh, solar and the rest of it, but also a good setup of energy storage uh, technologies and batteries, um, the ability of individual homes to just disconnect from the grid and have a big old battery or generator or whatever else there. Um, uh, that's what we need. We, we just need uh, a more dynamic electric grid, uh, and we need more widespread energy storage, uh, and we need to have it at the broad level, you know, these huge wind farms and things like that, um, but also giving people that energy at their own home. Um, and I think the ability then to cut off of the grid and have your home as its own little islanded uh, power source.
2: It, it's funny that after I just asked that question, um, my experience in Melbourne is that, you know, we're, we're predominantly coal fire powered and yet we have many blackouts in the summer. Um, So it's not it's not just down to reliability of uh, you know the sun shining or the wind blowing is you know, do we have uh, enough capacity or the right infrastructure with um, maybe power that hasn't transitioned yet like coal power? Um, Like that that is a reality for people at the moment with existing power sources Um, and then it got worse when uh, you know on a very very hot day if uh, if there are fires burning um, and transmission lines go down, uh, that's just, you know, you're going to need uh, some other type of battery power source regardless of the source of power. Yeah. So, uh, well, and it, if-
1: it's, it's not only scary for me needing to charge my wheelchair at night, but also for someone that needs a 24-hour ventilator that only has, you know, a maybe two hours spare battery on it. Uh, you know, th- these are, th- for me, it's convenience. For some people, it's life and death. Um, and yeah, what you're talking about, not only that, but if it's a hotter day and then more people are turning on the air conditioner, uh, mm-hmm. then you've got more power demand at the same time that it's harder to provide it. Um, I-, I-, I got into this um, working at the California Energy Storage Alliance, and I was working with them and thinking, how will I charge my battery- my wheelchair at night? And uh, then said, this is bigger and climate change, everything is connected. And that's why I switched over to this work specifically. Yeah, um, we, 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 California, we're worried about it. And there's a lot of push to get people uh, backup batteries. Um, and I know, I think Australia and California, we've got uh, some similarities on that front.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so the next one is a little bit different. Uh, so uh, again, one of your uh, previous quotes was during times of panic, um it brought on uh oh, sorry i'll start again uh, during times of panic brought on by a public health emergency people with disabilities could be viewed as pariahs due to incorrect perceptions that were inherently uh, having compromised immune systems so what are the prejudices and discriminations do people with disabilities face during public emergencies
1: uh so certainly uh there's the pariah issue i think that uh you know people with disabilities might uh yeah be viewed as you know potentially more uh likely to transmit you know coronavirus or whatever it else might be um people with disabilities often are left behind when emergency uh, uh evacuation measures don't take them into account um which might lead to simply being stranded or you know perishing um uh, Uh, Let me see here. Uh, You know, if the power goes out, uh, people with disabilities could uh, uh, have danger that way. If we get into a situation of really uh, extreme kind of life or death triage uh, and people with disabilities are uh, simply considered less likely to survive, uh, then they could be put lower on that list. Um, And a lot of this is really based out of misperceptions of the health of people with disabilities. Uh, I, 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 I deal with my muscle spasms, but otherwise, you know, in relatively decent health. Um, I have friends who are blind and deaf. I have friends who have, you know, whatever, diabetes and very well-managed diabetes and things like that, where uh, their health is, like, for the most part, fine. But someone would look at them and say, oh, you're an amputee, you use a wheelchair, whatever, you're less likely to survive, so sorry. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, we also run into the danger if uh, social systems start to get stressed, uh, if economies start to get stressed, uh, that people who use those social systems can be demonized, people who are viewed as Unproductive in a time of scarcity can be demonized. Um, so, if that's one of the side effects of climate change, that's something we uh, need to be aware of, communicate, prepare, and then um, uh, break away of break away from.
2: Wow, that some of those responses blew my mind. Just thinking about um, the initial uh, stages of COVID and then the things that were being said in the media about triaging were truly uh, just beyond horrific um and then to think that it might be exacerbated by perception incorrect perceptions um must must be a real concern for anyone um who isn't presented as the most perfect human being (laughs) so um it's 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 truly quite something that um bothers me um because i mean uh it's just so recent that uh people who haven't had that background with um having to think about disabilities had all of a sudden had to think oh hold on um you know i might be considered less able or less uh fit or less healthy maybe i will also have to consider what happens to me so and and there's
1: a there's a connection between age and disability and we've seen the really disproportionate rates of death um, among older folks uh, and 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 right now in covid uh, i've got able-bodied friends that are okay going out uh I, as i said i've got limited lung capacity you know otherwise i'm in good health but it's um it's something where me a lot of my friends with disabilities are staying indoors and we're also screaming at the able-bodied world of you know, people not wearing masks here in the United States and whatever else, and saying like, listen, we know you wanna go back to job, your job. You're talking about us as if we're expendable. And you, uh, you know, being irresponsible about the mask means I have to stay home longer. Like, please just, you know, mm-hmm. stop discounting the lives of people you don't view as able-bodied. And uh, one of my favorite quotes from Ed Roberts, the disability rights leader, is we're the one community, minority community, that doesn't discriminate because anybody could join us at any time. Um, and, you know, it, it's, uh, um, yeah, it, it, we, we, we need more empathy and humanity. Toward the disability community
2: here. Yeah, definitely. Um, in, in fact, it, it just makes me think as well like um, there can be short illnesses or short injuries where um, an able bodied person might all of a sudden be classified as not able. Um, and that only might be temporary, but uh, it, it is something that everyone in their lives will probably have to think about, um, regardless of whether they become a permanent. Um, disability like you know it might be I might have to use a crutch um, to get around town for a couple of months or um, you know there there are things in Melbourne in in our city which have done really well Uh, but I I, I still think there is a perception that uh, it it can be only for people with permanent disabilities Uh, but uh, it, it really should be a thought of well almost everyone will probably have to be Thinking about this at some point in their lives, regardless of whether they um, experience a permanent um, disability or not,
1: yeah. and and uh, someone who is pushing a baby stroller benefits from a ramp. Uh, you know, so it, it's it, this is universally accessible design. Anybody can use that, whether they're able-bodied or not. So let's just build it accessible, and then thumbs up for everyone.
2: I'm going to have to plug the Melbourne tram system in the city. It is amazing. Uh, We we went through a few years of redesign and construction, and you know it it was difficult for a little while, but the results are truly amazing. Um, And for for me, who was able-bodied, to just have such a such a nice service, which you know even. Like, for me, like, you know, there's no ramp. There's no, you know, you don't have to grab onto a handrail to pull yourself up onto the tram. Um, The the, the trams are in the middle of the road and the priority is for the public transport so that you're not fighting or worrying too much about cars and bikes and things which are just going to come out of nowhere. Um, So when it's built, um, you know, in a a uh, well-thought-out manner, um, not just for uh you know m- mobility reasons but it, it, it can actually really uh, change the way an entire city uh, interacts um, because you know all of a sudden i'm down the other end of the city and it was just a breeze for me and that should be the way it is for everyone regardless of ability yeah.
1: and if you make it so that everybody able-bodied gets out of their cars and then uh, uses the tram That makes it so that if someone has a disability and it's at the level that public transport is difficult and they need to use a cab or you know their own wheelchair accessible van or something then they can get there on the street because nobody else is driving (laughs) as much and probably find a wheelchair accessible parking spot easier um you know this is this it's it's all interconnected yeah
0: yeah i think that's a great transition spot to our next question um so, Alex, I know you had you had kind of another life prior to climate change, or maybe this <laughs> yeah. was during or in the middle or um, parallel to. But um, so you were a former dating and relationship columnist, is that right?
1: <laughs> oh, you're pulling yeah. that one out. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so one article wrote. Um, I'm quoting over here, uh, Genis was also the dating and relationship columnist Axel Grand for National Spinal Cord Injury Association's Life in Action magazine where he covered topics including meeting people and getting physical quote-unquote. Um, so his goal is to help people with disabilities have have better understanding of uh, of our own sexuality and educate the entire public so that we are viewed as sexy and worthy of love so my question towards you for you is I think this is very appropriate for COVID-19 because so a lot of people are indoors or isolated or by themselves what advice do you have for people with disabilities who are looking to date during this pandemic you know it's it's really tricky for anybody regardless of if you have a disability or not
1: um gosh that is tough I mean for people who I'm here looking over to the side as you're talking to me just trying to think about how to answer this question COVID specific. Uh, you know we, we, I started that actually when I was in college um, I think my freshman year uh, someone else that uh, had a disability uh, said you know what we're looking around and none of our friends are going on dates and we just decided to go around and start talking about it at You know the co-op houses and then the sexuality class and the disability studies and this was just students going around and doing uh, these conversations. Um, So uh, if anything, uh, often people are kind of worried about disability when they see it in person right away at a first date. Um, So the expansion of online dating uh, sometimes people with disabilities have to spend just some more time chatting uh, before they actually go on the first date just because they have to clarify disability. Um, so this could be a decent way to kind of normalize disability without having to find um, the adaptive outdoor activity that would work for conventional dating. Uh, you know, it's it's alright to talk to people from your home. I think it's a little bit more normalizing. Um, It takes time, uh, I think, for people that need that physical intimacy. um, If they can, you know, uh, be comfortable with it and find out a way to, you know, uh, help themselves, then more power to them. Um, And otherwise, just being really safe. Uh, I think that there's, as I mentioned earlier on, the pariah thing, is that if someone with a disability is, you know, uh, otherwise in good health or feels like, uh you know they've been isolating they talked to a potential date the date has been isolating they uh make it clear that like they feel comfortable if they get sick they don't know who got them sick and there's no way that they would hold this person accountable um you know obviously be as careful as possible but um uh, communicate let them know uh, about any health worries Um, Assuage any of their fears. I'm going to tell someone, you know, I really, if I get it, I'm not going to be in much of a worse case than anybody else, or say, you know, I might be a little bit in worse shape, Uh, I think I'll be okay, I won't hold, you know, you to blame or whatever. Um, Be safe, uh, communicate, uh, be clear, uh, try to normalize disability and put yourself out there, have fun. I mean, if anything, this is a good opportunity to set up a dating profile and actually start uh, messaging people and giving it a try.
0: And you're going to be the advice giver during this time? (laughs) Um,
1: I guess. uh, Are we inviting me for another podcast? Uh, Just do dating advice? Um, Maybe. (laughs)
0: Um, uh, I had a follow-up question, which is, What's what's your recommendation? Is it to put the disability right out on the profile, or to reveal it later during the communication process? Uh, you
2: know,
1: I did I did online dating, um, and I, I'm seeing someone right now, which um, uh, really I'm grateful for. You know, we're we're able to be um, in the same home, and uh, in that respect. But um, I put uh, my disability right there on my profile, and I. Uh, I'm upfront about it, and I say at the end, you know, hey, ask any questions. I'm comfortable with it. Like my life is fine. I just roll around faster than you can walk because I've got a power wheelchair. Like you know, it is what it is. Um, I thought it was cool because I'd gotten messages from, uh, you know, uh, uh people who knew a family member, you know, had a family member with a disability. Their roommate in college had a disability. Um, they worked on disability rights, they saw some really cool thing. Um, they've always been interested in it but aren't kind of objectifying disability as some like, you know, intriguing, oh fun, I'm going to go on a date with this guy in a chair, like that's not who I want to be. But um, uh, yeah, putting yourself out there, saying what it is, saying that you're comfortable with your disability and you're happy to talk about it if people want, uh, That that's my go-to, that's my advice, yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Um, thank you also for all the great climate change information. Like I said, there's not enough people like you doing this kind of work. So I'm really happy that this is something you're passionate about and, uh, and uh, are going to be doing for the long term. Well, as long term as the earth will allow it, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, anyway, so that's the interview. Thank you so much. Uh, that was really great. Jean, did you have anything to say to uh, Alex in closing?
2: Uh, just it was wonderful to hear from you. Um, I'm I'm really glad that uh you've taken the time to go through all the all these issues with us. Um yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Thank you and uh, uh really appreciate it and hope
2: you everybody and everybody listening stays safe.
0: I don't think that's right. I Thanks for listening know. to another Trips and Global on, on Wheels like podcast like hour. Look for us on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook where I post pictures of my travels, share videos of my fitness journey, and keep you updated on the latest wheelchair accessory must haves. Tell others about our program. The more we can raise awareness about these issues, the stronger we can get as a community. At Trips and Global on Wheels, we aim to build a community of healthy, worldly, and informed individuals with disabilities and disability advocates. That means we want to hear from you, our listeners. Send us an email at TGOWpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know about your favorite destinations for accessible travel. How do you stay fit to avoid chronic injuries? What language do you prefer to describe your identity as someone with a disability? We want to provide a platform for people to share and learn from each other. So send us your stories. If you have suggestions for future guests that you would like to hear on our podcast series, please leave them in the Contact Us section of our website or post them on our Facebook page. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye.